0: restaurant unstoppable episode 959 with jack gibbons well it's it's interesting because
1: um i'd say fb society is a really transparent company we 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 talk about everything there's there's nothing off target but yeah i think when you work for other people that don't have that perspective it doesn't make you a little nervous like you're afraid to say am i allowed to share that sales volume you know where you know it just was kind of you you, I, i had to respect the fact that i was working for other people It wasn't my company
0: Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest
1: as they share what it takes to become unstoppable.
0: This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot Today's episode is brought to you by Pop Menu, and restaurants have been hit hard over the past last years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever, trying to meet the expectations of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like can I make a reservation or where are you located And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system for a limited time. My listeners can get $100 off their first month plus luck in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenucom slash unstoppable with excitement. Allow me to introduce to you today's guest CEO of FB society, Jack, gibbons my man jack are you feeling unstoppable today
1: i'm feeling pretty unstoppable
0: eric yeah man you are unstoppable i had a lot of fun just looking into your your story we had a lot of time this morning to like dig and and find out who you are and dude you you've got a cool background Man, you've worked for some great companies you've built some amazing brands i honestly did not know the the brands that you were behind before, I didn't realize you were, you were with Twin Peaks. Like, yeah. I, like I just like that brand scaled so much, like eight to like eighty locations or something like that.
1: It, it was it was a, a trip of a lifetime.
0: Yeah, man, and it's just a call out to I don't know, even remember if I mentioned this, but you're here because uh, Clay Dover called you out in episode eight nineteen, and uh, he had such amazing things to say. He's the CEO of Velvet Taco, um, and that's kind of how you guys linked up. I'm pretty sure, right?
1: yeah i had known uh him before but um you know we're partners certainly in velvet taco today and being the co-founder of velvet taco it was uh it was great to meet clay and get him on the team he's the right guy to run that brand
0: yeah so i've been trying to get you on the show for a couple years now we're finally making it happen i couldn't be more excited and we're gonna dive into your story but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra what do you got for us
1: I mean, the big thing at the mission of um, FB Society is having the courage to create experiences never imagined. So as we think about our restaurants, it's not just to create another. No community needs just another restaurant. They need something that transports people. Uh, makes them feel special. It's got nuance and uniqueness. And that's what we wake up every day excited to do.
0: Yeah. And why does that take courage? Why do you I mean, I think that's a very intentional word to have the courage to do this. Why is that the word you chose?
1: It's super intentional because it's easy to go into the flow of the masses. And uh, it really takes courage to go against the grain and and bet on yourself and your team on an
0: idea. Yeah. Um, How do you inspire people to be more courageous in what they're trying to do?
1: I think it's creating the right culture and the right environment. I mean, uh, we're, I think naturally I'm a risk taker, a bit of a maverick, so I like against the grain. So I like to seek out when people think differently and, and kind of char- challenge people too. Just don't go with the norm of what everybody else is doing.
0: Yeah. So – your story, man. Um, did you know this is what you wanted to do when you were young? I know you were in college when you started with Papas, right?
1: I was. This is the second job I've ever had at FB. So the first job was at
0: Papas. Okay. Um, I keep saying Pappas. Thank you for correcting yeah. me. Papas. Yeah. I've always done that. And I, as long as they've been on my radar, I keep on screwing that up. But are you're not from Houston, are you? No, I'm
1: actually originally from uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, started, started my life there and uh went to college at University of Houston. Okay. Um, and uh, when I went there, I, I didn't really know anybody, and um, but it, there was something about Texas and, uh, you know, how you feel things in your gut intuitively, yeah. and um, it was just a, 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 an exciting thing to do at that age, and um, Pappas was the first job, and I started off as a waiter, you know?
0: Yeah. So— you said you knew from an early age just what you wanted to do. Were you going did you what? What brought you to Houston? Was there a hospitality program, or what was going on?
1: Yeah, it was a hospitality program, and it was also a challenge. Like I looked at moving to, um, you know, going to school at like out in California or uh, Florida, but but Texas is where it just kind of felt right for me.
0: What was it about Texas? You said it was a gut feeling, but specifically you
1: know i i love i love pennsylvania and um you know still big eagles fan but uh you know there's just something about the you know they just seemed like such open spaces and such opportunity and it, it really is it's as i got down here it really enforced the fact that it's so entrepreneurial um you know there's there's nothing that can stop you in texas
0: i can kind of get behind that i mean i spent not many people know this, but i spent six months i moved to texas january 1st 2020 Thinking to myself, this is going to be my year. We all know how that went. Yeah, um, but I ended up going back to New Hampshire just because things got kind of wonky with sponsorship. Um, but I feel what you're saying. There's tons of opportunity in Texas. Texas just kind of attracts very ambitious people.
1: There's no there's no barriers either. It's not like um you know you you could just walk into a bar and you'd be be sitting next to a CEO or be sitting next to a a guy who started his own business and an entrepreneur and it just and it's that way in every city in, in Texas, whether it's Austin, San Antonio, uh, Dallas, or, or Houston. They're they're all that way.
0: Yeah. Uh, so when you landed in Houston, you're going to school. Um, I think you mentioned the, the the major. Say that again for me. The major you had? A uh, business. Business. Um, you you join the team over at Papa's. Like, what's going through your mind at this point? Like, where are you? Get, bring us that, that, that frame of mind then. Where, like, what was your goal? What was your vision for yourself then? You know,
1: I'm i, I was just a dumb college kid that loved going to parties and doing things like that. So, uh, I walked into uh, my first experience at a Pappas restaurant, which was Papacitos, and I fell in love. Like, the energy, uh, the excitement, uh, you know, the standards, and uh, just amazing uh,
0: experience. And I thought, wow, I this is, this is who I want to be. So where, describe where Papa's restaurant, what was, what's the overarching name of this company? So,
1: um, Papa's restaurants own, uh, Papa Cito's, Papa dough, Papa steakhouse. It's kind of a family business, a Greek family. That's been, you know, kind of a, uh, a regional company for years and they just have super high standards, um, really great food focus. And they're, they're just really a unique company.
0: Yeah, so where were they in 1983 when you joined? S- super young.
1: So this was the first Papacitos. There was no Papado at the time, which is their two big growth vehicles.
0: Papacitos was their first concept, right?
1: No, they yeah. actually had had other ones. They had a barbecue and a seafood. So okay. um, Papacitos, though, was really... Um, It it kind of uh, differentiated them. It was just a huge um, opportunity. I mean, the the lines to get in, the excitement of it, the novelty at the time, you know, it was just really uh, an exciting place to be.
0: So, you know, when you get hired with them that you want to be in restaurants for the rest of your career.
1: I I did immediately.
0: When did you know that?
1: So you know how you just feel things, and so when I, when I stepped into it and just felt like uh, it, it fit who I was, it fit who I wanted to be, and I just could see myself. Now, I I didn't I didn't always see myself as the entrepreneur that I became at that time. It was more. Like, just a great feeling of people you want to be around, um, people you could identify with culturally.
0: What do you mean the people you want to be around? Describe the people that you wanted to be around. I want to be around restaurant people.
1: They're the coolest. They're Mm. just fun. They're easy to get along with. They they care about things. They tend to have the hospitality gene. Um, They're open-minded. It's just... I've always found from day one restaurant people yeah. who I connect with.
0: That is exactly what I love about this industry and exactly what drives me to do what I do is I just love restaurant people. They're they're driven, they're passionate, they're like you're saying they have huge hearts, they're, they're socially intelligent, emotionally intelligent, can have great conversations. It's <laughs> like, not
1: hard, it's not work, yeah. you know, it's uh so it doesn't even feel like work being yeah. around restaurant people.
0: Yeah. So paint the picture of so wh- there were three concepts when you joined the Pappas family. Or is yes. there four at this time? I think it was four. Four? Yeah. Okay. So they were kind of already pretty well established in nineteen eighty-three.
1: Yeah, but they were very small. They didn't have a lot of units at the time. And so when and did they start, do you know? So I think they started like in the sixties, okay. Like in, as a family business yeah. where it was kind of passed on, but where it really kind of like a line in the sand for them. I mean, back then I was wearing um concert t shirts, like pulling food out of the kitchen, and it, it wasn't the company that it became because eventually you know, super strong standards. I mean, when you think of um, some of the best operational restaurant groups in the country, you know, you think of Houston's and you think of Pappas. And they are two groups that really stand out from, you know, having very clear standards. And it it wasn't always that way. It it became that way over time because it had just a, a great group of talent that was so focused and so dedicated and wanted to make it an exceptional company.
0: So if we, like, get in our, like, airplane or helicopter and zoom up to, like, 30,000 feet, 25 years with Pappas, you came in as a server, right? Um, how did you progress in that? Like, just get super, like, without getting into detail, just, like, paint that big picture, and then we'll start dissecting it.
1: So so, um, just falling in love with the restaurant was probably the first thing that happened, and then, you know, I went through a path of, uh, you know, learning, taking on more responsibility, um, and, and I kind of, like, found out who I was in that path where I found out you know, I could I could create things. It was interesting on like my fourth week in management, um, I would study uh, magazines of different food. And all of a sudden, one day I came to my general manager and said, hey, I have an idea of a new item. And um, he goes, well, what are you thinking? He goes, well, go make it for me. So I, I went back in the kitchen and I took a lobster tail and I found some stuffing and I stuffed this lobster tail and put it together. And uh, we actually ran it that night and sold like 75 of them and uh all of a sudden like i found wow i i have a skill that i never even realized i had and so like uh it just was a place that really felt like home for me immediately
0: so this is that papado i'm assuming this is Papa papado yeah uh so so you fall in love with the industry or this this restaurant you they start giving you more responsibility um wh- when did you start taking on more of a management role? Like, like so, your server. What were the titles you had?
1: So, of course, you went from server to you know headway and bartender, and then uh, in Pappas, when you go into management initially, you start in the you start on the floor and you work into the kitchen. When you get into the kitchen, all the general managers run the kitchens. So as you progress, it's really a different um, kind of structure than other yeah. restaurant companies because. You know the product is so important at Pappas. You know it's how fresh the fish is, how the, the quality of the product. So as a as a kitchen manager there, you're expected almost like a like a sous chef. You should be able to work every single position in the kitchen. It really trains you incredibly well to really become that that. Um, Restaurant person who's super comfortable walking through kitchens and super knowledgeable. Yeah, about it gives you the big it.
0: picture. It's not just the the, the customer facing. There's so yeah. much that happens behind the scenes, and I, I think it's good. There's a lot of restaurants that I've seen who they literally, if you want to work at this restaurant, you they rotate their staff through every position. But the cool thing about that is, if somebody calls out, there's somebody else that's there today that you can call an audible on the spot and move people around. Uh, but also, it, it solves a problem with the front of house, back of house issues with like wage. But that's a different story, I guess. But yeah, just I don't think. we do a good job at helping our, our employees see the big picture we kind of say stand here do this and don't worry about anything else
1: well it's what happens is um you know economics gets in the way right so at pappas where it's radically different than other restaurant companies is as as a kitchen manager or functioning almost as a sous chef you do this for years like you you work back there and you actually do the job so you become not only knowledgeable about it but you become an expert at it because yeah. you you can do every function mm-hmm. and uh, that's that that's really unique what was your exiting title with papas so uh, I was they, they don't really have traditional titles but I'd say if there was a, a name that I had it would have been probably COO of, of Papado okay um, the operating company so um, there was a point at, at uh, in my growth there so I was overseeing the whole pap Papado um company where and we were growing i mean we i think i left we had about 34 35 units uh auvs like best in the country all in
0: houston too or like oh, no they're nearby we, yeah
1: we had actually i'd opened uh two in chicago oh, okay. phoenix uh atlanta was a growth market for us but primarily texas for yeah. sure and uh, but at, you know at some point as i was growing in that company it's a very insular company and i was getting more responsibilities i kind of um ran out of mentorship where, um, they're, they're not the kind of group that says, Hey, you know, go to the restaurant show in Chicago or seek out a mentor or a coach. So I, I ended up going back to, um, get my MBA at university of Dallas. And that sort of became like my new way that I sort of developed myself to be ready to be a VP of operations and really a COO of a company, because, there, there wasn't really a person teaching me how to do it. And that it just was too young of a company. Yeah.
0: And that's one thing. I mean, I think there's something to be said about staying with a company for 25 years, but there's also something to be said about going out, spending like three or four years with one company and then get, getting that perspective and then getting a whole new perspective. But like it kind of rounds off and you get, you get to approach the industry from so many different angles. You didn't get that benefit.
1: I, I didn't, but you know, I always thought I was an open-minded person. Mm-hmm. And when I would travel for work, I was curious so i I would go visit other restaurants try to develop relationships with people in the business and kind of hear how their company was different than ours because i just was thinking how do i do a better job if i really don't get exposed to more things were you you
0: worried when you would approach people and start asking these types of like personal questions or like you know business questions like what was going on through the back of your mind like
1: well, it's it's interesting because um, I'd say FB Society is a really transparent company. We we, we talk about everything. There's yeah. there's nothing off target. But yeah, it, I think when you work for other people that don't have that perspective, it doesn't make you a little nervous. Like you're afraid to say, "Am I allowed to share that sales volume?" You know where? Yeah. You know, it just was kind of. You, you, I, I had to respect the fact that I was working for other people. It wasn't my company. You know, mm-hmm. and
0: that was one of my biggest fears when I started this podcast. Is like, are people going to be willing to talk about? Like the, the the details of their business, because in such a competitive industry, and I think that it was more like I, I think it was a more a part of the industry's culture to the hold withhold the information from people because of that competitive nature, especially like things like recipes and stuff like that. Uh, but I was afraid that if I start getting out there and I start talking to people that. They're going to be like, who, who are you asking me these personal questions about my business, my my trade secrets? But the truth is, it's the most successful people who are the most willing to share that information.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, it's so interesting that you bring this up because I, I think that's the old school thinking of, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't share that kind of information yeah. where today it's exact opposite. Why the is it the case? Uh, I just think that um, if you were brought up in a period of time where you saw everything as your competition, um, I think that that's what kind of is old school thinking. I think today is such a larger, more connected world. The more you help everybody out, it does always come back to you. But what we find is we end up either being partners in business together. Or we we find out more more opportunity and more synergy. Uh, to scale, to grow, to do projects together, to expand our, our knowledge. And uh, if you don't share it, it, it never goes past anything.
0: Yeah. People are going to like, if people don't feel like they're growing with you cause you're not giving them information, if you're not, you're just keeping them in their lane and they don't ever get they they're ne- never able to get outside of that lane. They're going to go someplace else. They're going to go get that experience. someplace. No else. question they're yeah. going to. And yeah. so
1: um, I think if, if pe- and, and, and it's interesting if people, you know, want to leave it's not a bad thing i mean we 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 don't want them to leave but uh if it's going to do something bigger and better i I mean i i always like embrace it and just uh, you know try to help them as much as i can
0: i've said multiple times that it's your goal to push people out of your restaurant by by literally saying where how where do you want to go how can i help you get there but when you take that approach people end up sticking around. <laughs> you know,
1: the the right people stick around and the people that it's not quite right end up finding their place in the right place for them, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um so back to kind of your evolution at Papa's. Uh you talked about your career evolution, but like how are you growing? What were like if you could reflect back over that 25-year period, and this is going to be hard for you to do, maybe pick like two or three or four transformative moments for you where like, this is where you were. And like this experience, this mentor, something about that changed you and brought you to the next level. Like where were those stopping points for you?
1: I could think of one, um, specifically, um, where I mentioned, I I went to graduate school and, uh, my first night of class, I, you know, for as busy as I was, as much as I was traveling, I had to set rules, right? So the rules I created for myself where, um, I had to, uh, Uh, sit in the front of class I didn't need any more friends I was really there to learn you know Uh, the second rule I had was uh, I had to um, read the material three months or three weeks ahead and always come prepared for the class wow the third thing was I had to give up Monday night football Because, um, you know, for my wife, it was going to be, I had to dedicate time and take it away from my family. So I had to really make a commitment of when I was going to do that. So I really made a really conscious decision of I'll take classes on Monday nights. I'll give up Monday night football. And that way I feel like I wasn't, you know, detracting from my family or anything like that since I usually watch Monday night football. So I did those three things. It was the easiest time in my life to ever really get straight A's. You didn't, if you did those things, you really didn't even have to work at
0: it's it. It's amazing how easy school is later in life. It is. I went back to school in my late twenties, and I mean, granted, the first time I went to school, I went to school for aviation flight operations. Uh, it was a challenge. It's not an easy major, right? And the second time I went back to school, I went back for hospitality management. So it was a little bit, but yeah, you literally just like, I felt like I just showed up. Yeah. And, and, but I was also very interested in it. And like I enjoyed yeah. learning and exploring. So, like the the A's just came. Yeah.
1: It did. And also, too, it's, um, it's about investing in yourself. Like, uh, uh at the time, Pappas, they, they didn't pay for my graduate program. I paid for it myself because wow. it was kind of my own investment into myself. And, um, so I, I just remember one management class, it was, you know, go to the class and the teacher, um, he said, um, you know, I, uh, I just got back from a big, um, Uh, consultation in las vegas i did this big casino with their restaurant program and their food program and what do you think was the one thing that helped me solve every problem there and of course you know kids in the class are like you know i i think it's the people or i think it's this um you know they're they're missing they need more revenue or they need he goes uh one thing that actually uh, happened there was if I figured out how I could actually clean the silverware and the journey of the silverware in the casino, I can solve any problem in that entire place. And, it, it, and it was like, wow, that's, this is a guy from my own heart. Like I was like, I, and I learned so much through that. So I'm going to these classes at night with a guy who's really introducing me to, you know, uh, Peter Drucker and all these classic management things. And, and then I'm I'm hearing practical you know solutions to things that I'm experiencing and and uh, and I didn't have that mentor at Pappas as I was growing from you know a, really a VP level a director level to a VP level to a you know a, an executive and so ha- having hearing all this stuff and learning and and then it really started turning up in my work where we'd have some executive meetings and and the owner of the company is like. So we have a problem at the hostess stand, and, um, you know, how do we solve this problem? And everybody wants to jump in and solve the problem. And I, I was like, well, um, uh, I, I think it's activity versus accomplishment, you know? So let's step back. There's a process here. Let's actually double down on training and focus on what we're actually accomplishing versus just coming in and having activity. And he he kind of was shocked, you know. He like hadn't hadn't really heard that, or maybe he thought that, but he, he didn't really have it actually articulate it like that. And so all of a sudden, I'm studying this at class and thinking about how to really turn this into you know practical things of how to make the restaurants better and really work on process and systems. And so it it really. You know, push me to become a much better leader faster, and give me a lot of content to constantly be talking to the teams about.
0: Say that again. Uh, what versus what?
1: Oh, um, activity versus accomplishment. So,
0: what exactly is activity versus? Like, what were you in that short one-liner? What were you communicating?
1: So, it's a very Peter Drucker thing to to think about, and you know, as that school of management is instead of just you know, we could come in and. You know, constantly, especially in restaurants, get caught up in activity every day, just saying hi, get people things going on. You know, you turn into that uh, fireman constantly putting out fires, versus really controlling your time, focusing on uh, the process of how things are being, and what that does is lead to really it. it It's how you scale brands. You have to have these things and they have to go kind of like clockwork to work effectively.
0: So it's like like you come in as the host and you're literally just putting out fires. You're running around chaos. You're reactive, not proactive. You're like, well, who needs me now? What can I do now? And that's a that's a part of the host position, right? Like there's that time during service where like you just have to like be ready to, to put out fires. That's what you do. But at the same time, there, there has to be a list, a standard of things that no matter what day it is, you no, know, like these things still have to happen. These are your responsibilities. Like, so it was a matter of like not like that position not having the checklist, that position not, not having not
1: having the level of training um, on intentionality. Okay, you know, like uh, if 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 the hostess slows down in the moment, she could actually Eric and know your name, you know, and and like really make a difference to what you hired her to do versus you know, sort of just running around and, you know, responding to everything, but actually her being in charge of her role, knowing what her objectives are and to be super clear on it, you know?
0: So how did that role change after you had this, this, like, you you brought this information to the, the group?
1: Uh, well, at, at my career, it certainly, I, I continue to grow, take on more responsibilities with them and, um, and, and become uh, a little bit more self-reflective in my in myself. Mm. Um, and because I think the role, the company was doing, such great job, and really kind of was standing out from the crowd. It's probably how a lot of people got to know me, and it's certainly how my future business partner at at Frontburner, uh, how we connected. Got it.
0: So, uh, you talked about this this evolution through going uh, in the program, learning uh, how that kind of gave you a whole new perspective. You're taking this information from outside the organization, you're bringing it into the organization. Uh, were there any other evolutionary points for you as a person? that we haven't touched on that. The, that yeah. We, oh yeah. That
1: I'd, I'd say a big one is too, is just becoming a dad. When you become a dad yourself, uh, you know, t- like hostesses or bus boys or people are just not employees. They're, they actually have lives. They have parents, they have, um, you know, employees have checkbooks. They need to balance. They're just, a, you got to give them a lot more credit. And so I think the humbling uh, process of me becoming a father really, um, you know, cause you know, the guys tend to mature a little bit slower. And I'm I'm a slow mature for sure. I'm way behind the curve. So, <laughs> you know, but, but once I got it, I got it. And yeah. I, it really kind of like it woke me up to the fact that, you know, pe- people are um, th- like their life is not just to come and run and work in a restaurant. You know, ideally, if we're a great company, and we're a good management team, we can make them feel like how, how that and really connect them to the business, the industry, um, the art of it, the science of it. But Um, they're, they're, they're a person first, you know, Mm. and they've got other responsibilities and sometimes that far outweigh what they're doing with us, you know, Yeah,
0: for sure. So we talked a lot about your evolution, but now I'm curious as the COO unofficial CEO, but like, that's essentially what you were. Uh, how long were you at that position? Uh, like, like you started in 1983. When were you starting to do COO level work? Like when did that happen for you? Probably about five years before I left. Okay. Uh, so where I'm going with this was what is the evolution of Papa's like being seeing them in 1983 when I don't know how, how many locations they had then, but I'm sure it wasn't what Not it many. was when you yeah. left. Right. Yeah. They're at 34 locations. When so you? I,
1: I could say that, um, you know, when I, I had worked at Papacitos and I opened the first Papa Do in 1986, um, and, uh, and I went into management in 1986 with them. So, Uh, in, um, so now, uh, you know, when I left 15 years ago in 2008, um, yeah, I left, you know, 35 restaurants that were, you know, um, you know, kind of industry standard as far as execution and, you know, overall sales and, you know, a lot of key metrics.
0: Yep. Um, as far as operations go, what influence, how did, how did this restaurant group evolve operationally from your viewpoint?
1: You know, um, I think um, operationally it was uh, completely standard driven. How do we get the highest quality of food? We went from buying food from just local purveyors to importing our own, uh, you know, uh, halibut from Alaska. Uh, we we went deep on all the products when it came to, you know, we have alligator on the menu out there. I would take trips out to Louisiana and actually follow the whole process of how the how the animals were caught, how they were, you know, uh, how had the whole thing of how they were done. So we we had like all this intimate knowledge about every product that we had and then. Every standard of, you know, fry temperature, um, what type of oil we used, what kind of fryer we used, we, we got into everything and it, and it was deep and it was really uh, enjoyable.
0: So w- was it always standard driven?
1: No, I, I think it evolved with the quality of people that they brought on. Okay. One thing that was kind of interesting about Pappas is they had a rule that um, to get into uh, to become a general manager, uh, you had to have a college degree.
0: Do you and think that's even, a good rule?
1: And, to, and, and to even to get into management, you had to have a college degree. Wow. And this is, you know. This is this is for the restaurant long, industry. And this is a long time yeah. ago, right? Yeah. So um, I, I don't think it is a good rule personally. But what it did was it just so happened. It, it just got a lot of really, like in the early days, a lot of managers back in, you know, the, the 80s and 90s didn't have college degrees that were running these restaurants. And um, they just, just brought the standard up. They just got a, a lot of really smart people uh assertive people and uh they just set the kept setting the standards higher. So as a as a, as a leadership team the family themselves they were very good at really pushing the levels to you know say hey once we accomplish that that's our new line in the yeah. sand now where's the next one we're going I mean, for
0: I can see that in the 80s in the 90s and the early 2000s being a good standard I think it had it carried more weight then than it does now but I think collectively the, the bar on people just generally people you don't need to have a degree today to be uh, to have agree. access to information I think absolutely it's, it's just it's, the world we're living in has changed yeah
1: you know? back then you had to go to a library and find books and you know today it's at your fingertips exactly it's 100
0: yeah, yeah for sure I'm literally at your fingertips literally unless your batteries are dead yeah uh, so anything we haven't talked about in the early days of your career that are worth bringing to the surface before we start transitioning to the next stage for you no no all right one more question before we do take a first break i mean i feel like you you, you spent 25 years climbing the ladder you're a coo uh, of a company that's growing like crazy. Today, I think they have upwards of like 90 locations. Yeah. So since 2008 to today, they've, uh, are, they've doubled in size. Why did you leave? What What was the reason for leaving?
1: You know, after going through my master's program, I, I kind of sensed that there was um, an entrepreneur in, in Jack Gibbons. And uh, within that company, I kind of realized that I wasn't going to be able to ever realize that um, person fully. And uh, and at that, that time, I met uh, Randy Dewitt, who became my future business
0: partner. Okay, and who's what's what's Randy's story? So,
1: Randy is a, a, a unbelievable entrepreneur. He um, had founded uh, Rockfish uh, here in um, Dallas. Uh, it, it had gotten bought and by Brinker and went on a tear. And he learned a lot of lessons. And uh, uh, he's uh, he's a guy who you know when you think about creating brands he, he's the guy that really really um has these big ideas on blue space and uh like where where things can grow and what opportunities are and so you know initially the attraction is my operational skills and his uh, you know entrepreneur and big ideas Vision, um yeah. put together would create potentially new businesses and in 2008 it, there weren't a lot of uh it was a lot of chains that yeah. were um you know especially in dallas and we thought uh, collectively, if we worked together, um, we could change that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I've interviewed other people who came up in, in the Papa's families of restaurants. Uh, another, he's right here, and um, his name is escaping me. I can't think. You know what I'm talking about? He's I, in front mind. range. He's behind the the dog uh, cantina, oh, um, canine yes. cantina. What's Kyle? Kyle. Kyle yes, Noonan. Ky- yes. Kyle Nunez. Thank you, Jesus. That's yeah. so embarrassing. Uh Kyle's another. He came yeah. up, and I think in my conversation with him, I think I remember him saying that it's a very family it's a family driven business it's a family owned business completely so i feel like um there's a ceiling that you hit in those types of businesses where like you can only go so far but yeah. i'm not talking poorly on the company i mean i, I get the idea of taking no of and family too. I,
1: I i feel like um you know i i was part of the um the brain trust of that you couldn't get any higher than than where i was and um and it and it was a good thing i mean they treated me great they they paid me well but uh, there was something that uh, was left unfulfilled within myself that I felt like. Um, and then as I met Randy, um, it just uh, it just really opened up this idea of you know what, um, there's there's just more out there than just just this this one company.
0: Yeah. And the reason why I bring this this up is because I feel like that's that mindset of of limiting people's growth is a, a real good way to limit the growth of your business. But at the same time, you look at a, a restaurant group like Papa's and they're they don't have no issue with growth you know so like so what do, what do you think it's unique about the poppas family that where they and correct me if i'm wrong you know that the, the group yeah. way better than i do am i am i swinging and missing here
1: no i i think that um to a certain degree what i i'm concerned about our own company is holding people back or you know as you have talented people you don't have to treat them all the same and i think that you know uh oh in the past years people would put people in a box. And uh, I think when you think about, uh, you know, who's who's delivering um, execution and resources, and I just think that they, um, you know, that, that, that will hold your company back. There's yeah. no question about it.
0: Yeah, I think when I think about who does this really well, I think like Danny Myers or like Let Us Entertain You or... Um the Cameron Mitchell group of restaurants, and they they spend all this time growing people. And then when they recognize that somebody has it, that they're going to go off and be their own restaurant tour, they say, what do you want to do? Let's do it together. And then, but you've already formed that person. You've already given them your culture. They already know your systems. Now you can just invest in their vision and give them equity in that company. A hundred percent. And I love that model. I don't even know if there's a name for that model.
1: You know, um, there, there isn't, but you know, I, we, what we believe in is sharing equity with our executive talent and that's, we'll get into that, that, for sure. that, that is super important because that. otherwise, you know, they're, they're going to go on to other places. Yeah.
0: So we're going to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back recently on the show. You've been hearing it come up often. Fred Langley CEO of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the restaurant systems pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurant tours out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurant tours don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to RestaurantUnstoppable.com/slash/rs that's rsp for restaurant systems pro RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash rsp we are back and now you you come to this point you you meet randy do it he kind of it sounds like he kind of sparks something and you you see that there's an opportunity to move forward uh, so randy wasn't a part of front burner is he
1: he is he, no, that's he, right he was the, he's the, the, the
0: ceo then that's right yeah
1: he's actually the founder of of front burner yeah, that's right
0: i don't know why i forgot yeah. that um i remember that in my research so did he recruit you? Did he encourage you to come?
1: We yeah. He uh, we talked for probably. I mean, it was a period of time, like I'd say three or four years, um, that we actually talked because uh, working at Papado, running Papado, was such a great opportunity. It, it wasn't something that I would just walk away from. I had worked too hard there, you know, and yeah. so. But what uh, Randy at the time had started um, uh, also Twin Peaks. That's right. So uh, there was some challenges with. Um, his seafood restaurants uh, rockfish that uh, some of them were closing down and uh, he had a great location up in Louisville, and he didn't want to give up the lease and he kept thinking what what is the opportunity to do something different here and he saw that the only restaurant that was really growing sales in Louisville was hooters and he's like hey you know i'm i'm a guy that you know i, I like sports you know, I, I like girls and I like cold beer. Why do I never go to Hooters? And he kept thinking about this and dwelling on it. And then he thought, well, uh, who's their competition? And they're really across the country. They didn't have a competitor. And so he thought, why don't I just create a, a way better version of Hooters and, and do that with the property? And so that's what it, the, how he ended up creating this the first Twin Peaks in Louisville. Louisville. Okay. Yeah.
0: So – when you came on, there was Rockfish, there was uh, Twin Peaks. What else was under the front burner? That that, that was it. Yeah. Okay. Um. How many? And you you came on to really focus on growth, growing Twin Peaks. That was your your focus. Right? So
1: so at the time, um, as I came on, there was an opportunity to sell uh, Rockfish. Okay. And it was right after I came on, and so uh, we decided to move forward with that plan, uh, take that capital, reinvest it into. Uh, growing Twin Peaks, and then start a new brand.
0: So where was Rockfish at when you came up? I think they had about 15 locations. 15 locations. Yeah. So they sold to a private equity? I sold to a
1: private equity group.
0: And yeah. um, what was that group?
1: I don't remember the, the name of them. It was actually a combination of a couple different groups. But uh, And they, they really um, took the brand. They're still out there today. They They have locations
0: open. Okay, so what was it about Rockfish? Um, what did what did Randy see? How did did he see that 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 brand was kind of starting to lose its momentum, and he just, or did he just want to do something different? Was he just getting bored I, with that?
1: I, I think it was a little bit of both. I yeah. think he was a little bored, and I think that it was losing momentum, and it just it, it the journey that he originally started. Um, they had some operational challenges, and what he wanted to do was really find an operational partner uh, that maximized what he could do, and really kept kept a focus on execution at the brands.
0: Yeah, what you're talking about right now, I was actually hoping to connect with the author of, of one of the co-authors um, in the the family of uh, EOS. On, uh, of course, I'm drawing a break. Rocket Fuel. I don't have you heard of that book? I've heard haven't. of um, the book Traction, Gino Wickman, uh, but in that book, Rocket Fuel, it's, it's really. Every entrepreneur needs. I want to say it's either an implementor or a somebody who's you. Yes. Every visionary, every yes. entrepreneur. And not to say you aren't an entrepreneur, but you yeah. bring that skill set of systems and processes and integrating and making things happen. And it's 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 what Gary Vaynerchuk calls uh, being in the sky versus, or sorry, being uh, uh, you know he in the sky versus being in the dirt. So, yeah. Like, visionaries are in the sky. They're dreaming. But you need that person who's good in the dirt, yeah. who can build things and process and system. And uh, Simon Sinek calls them why guy versus how guys, yeah. right? Yeah. So you sound like kind of a, a, a mix of the two, though. You sound like you have some of that visionary as well. I don't want to paint you into a corner.
1: No, no, you, you're you right. And and it's funny because Randy is a mentor. I, I evolved a lot where all of a sudden, um, you know, a lot of the, the creativity um, that I had prior just used in only in operations. I found out that I was much more of an entrepreneur than I realized, and um, it just uh, I needed to be given some canvas to, to really have the opportunity to do that. And yeah. and he was a perfect partner to help me evolve that way.
0: So when you when you join in 2008 rockfish is no longer under the portfolio of
1: we sold it almost immediately so okay. it really wasn't something i ever oversaw
0: and then you used that capital to invest in something that was just catching fire yes and that was twin peaks and you came on as the president of twin peaks right? yes okay so wh- where was twin peaks when you came on how many locations it's about four locations four at the locations time. reflecting when you landed and you're like okay this is what i'm working with what were the things where you're like this is awesome but we really need to work on this like where were, where was the good work? was the bad
1: so so um, I mean the big thing that we made an immediate change in was in culinary okay um, I had brought um, uh, you know th- it was uh, when I first got there it-, it was you know froze frozen hamburgers and frozen wings and um, not- nothing was made from scratch and so I-, I ended up bringing a chef over from my background in Pappas and we just worked on the menu immediately and we didn't change any verbiage on the menu but we changed every product in the kitchen. And what it did was all of a sudden people started coming in and going, wow, this, this is not what I was expecting. And we started making these changes. And then, uh, of course, 2008 was an interesting year for real estate. And, you know, there was, um, you know, a lot of uh, bank failures. Mm-hmm. And so what we did is we started going from C-level real estate to a level real estate
0: because all the people going out of business it was available
1: and um and it made such a difference so the auvs which had been in the the low two point you know millions at 2.2 we went to two and a half what's an AUV an average uh unit volume so uh, annual volume was over, call it two point two, two point four million. We started making these culinary changes, and and we saw immediate response because we were still a very small company.
0: Yeah. And
1: then we started making some real estate changes, and then when we went from C properties to A properties, you know the the AUVs continued to grow. So it, we went to three million, and then three point two, three point five, and four, and we our our volumes kept increasing because we really focused on the process of, you know, who we were hiring, how we were training them, you know, the food the and the whole lodge, you know, it was, it was an experience. So when you went there, you know, it was, you know, beer that was f- crazy cold, you know, a TV package that, you know, you could never replicate in your house. And it was, it was an experience. And so, you know, coming, coming from a bit of polished casual dining um, to that level of a, a sports bar was a big change. Yeah. But at the same time, as we were working on improving that brand, I continued to hire more culinary talent because we were getting ready to open our first restaurant that we created together, Randy and I, called The Ranch at Las Colinas.
0: Okay. So your story is kind of reminding me of the same story of walk-ons. I don't know if you're familiar with the walk-ons. Very familiar with them. Yeah. But the same idea. They're like, okay, well like we like you look at all sports bars you're comparing yourself to hooters but yeah. they're comparing themselves to all sports bars and they're like if we just focus on doing the food good like we can instantly create that that can be our unique selling proposition so oh, yeah. you did the same thing back in 2008 where you're like we're i don't even what would you call how would you categorize uh like hooters and twin peaks a restaurant restaurant okay yeah. I, I wanted you to say it before i say it. yeah uh so like so like so you're like this is a vertical right um and all we got to do is like beat them in the food and like they're the, like we can easily become number 1 and the bar wasn't high wings
1: like the, the bar was not high and it but it was more than just the food it was the food it was the the processes the systems it was the environment the the tv package the you know making the ufc night fights super fun it was can you beat them in everything you know yeah
0: yeah so that was the first thing you noticed is we can instantly be number one if we just raise the bar on food. Uh, what was the second thing that you think that, because when you left, they were at, they went from four to over 80, right? Yeah, we Locations. went over 80. And it's, that's huge. And you know, how many years? Oh, let's see, 2008.
1: Uh, I, I mean, it's been a bit of a journey because we, when we sell a company, we traditionally don't we we actually roll on the transaction that we stay either on on boards or you know keep an investment in is what we'd like to do especially if we build it well which twin peaks has actually continued that which shows you when you're doing things right it gets better even after you're gone you know it yeah. just continues to grow because the management team and the the whole structure of what they do is so good
0: yeah um so did how did the operations and the culture of Twin Peaks evolve over time? What what was your role with that? I mean, I'm sure it was huge as a president.
1: I mean, it it, it was just about um, you know, um executing at a high level. It was um, you know, <laughs> being good stewards, being nice, you know, being friendly, you know, and and making an experience, you know, which is really what, you know, was the early evolution of FB Society of you know, create experiences never imagined, you know, where all of a sudden, you know, during a, a UFC fight, you you know, you've got a DJ in there, it's fun, there's high energy, and people can't wait to come back and bring their friends. And, and it, and it was a period of time in, in 2008, 2009, 2010, that people were out of jobs. Uh, you know, they didn't have as much money. So, you know, our prices were reasonable. Our product was better than they thought it was going to be. If you were going to go have a beer at a sports bar, you know, it's 50% chance it's going to come out lukewarm. Ours, there's zero chance it's going to come out anything but with like ice crystals on top, you know? And so that's what you could bank on every time you
0: went. So, so, uh. Randy Dewitt was the CEO of, yeah. of Twin Peaks. You were the president. Randy, at this point, he grew Rockfish to 15 locations. So he had the experience in the importance of systems, processes, procedures, culture, all the stuff that we talk about on a lot of the shows and uh, scaling systems and process when you go from like 1 to 5 to 5 to 10 to 10 to 15. Like He, he went through that. So he kind of he, – he got
1: – He had great experience Experience.
0: Yeah. But, but what did that experience go? Give him going into Twin Peaks mistakes he made with with Rockfish that you guys did not make with Twin Peaks. Are there any examples of things like this?
1: Yeah, I think it was um, you know one of the biggest things um, that that he learned that he passed on to me is hire people smarter than you. Mm. Um, I think that constantly uh, in leadership positions, I, I only want to hire people who are are more talented, more experienced, smarter than me, because otherwise you're not going to grow. And you, your, you you, as a leader can hold your company back does, substantially. Yeah.
0: Does your ego ever get in the way?
1: No. I mean, if, has it, it ever? It, no, of, of course. I'm sure it has, <laughs> you know, but we, we all have them. But at the end of the day, if you really, my egos build around how successful our brands are. And so if they, if I really want them to be successful, I need to have the right team around me. And what we did was really focus on, Who's on our team? We talked about it endlessly about the talent level that we were looking for, and and really that's that's what I think really uh, upped the ante.
0: Yeah, I think you're you're just a good I don't know example of this because you think of the brands that you're behind, right? Uh, but you're you're not like a big celebrity, you know, like you're not putting you're not like you put everybody else in front of you and i'm not saying that you're not i don't say you're a no-name but like yeah. at the same time like i think it's a testament the fact that like people know the brands but the, but when you are selfless when you do make it about the success of the brand um i feel like if you if you pull yourself out of it if you don't make it about ego you can go so much further
1: i i totally agree when you think about um all the brands that front burners created over the years um and uh nobody knows who randy and jack is yeah. uh, just i do not mean knows. that as a and, no I, I i i think it's actually um our personalities yeah. you know so and we always put the brands uh first you know and we wouldn't try to uh as we did them we wouldn't um we really had a a, a really great process of how to separate the brands because you wouldn't want to dilute a brand like velvet taco with what you were doing at um Twin Peaks, or you wouldn't want to dilute a 60 vines with what you're doing at Whiskey Cake. And so we, we really, as entrepreneurs, had to really figure out a, a creative solution on how we really create these brands and keep them so on track and so focused, um, because if you have people crossing over brands, it just creates bad dilution. So actually running a portfolio company is what we had to learn how to do.
0: So what do you mean exactly by, a, a, what, what is that, a portfolio company?
1: When you think about a portfolio company, it would be like Danny Myers, Sam Fox, that they have brands that actually, in particular, uh, a portfolio company that can grow brands across the country, Got which it. is what you know we've we've done over and over in a in a, a way that you know um, Sam Fox, Richard Melman, you know, is another you know certainly famous uh, person who's built unbelievable brands yeah. that have scaled across and the this country. Is a
0: big mistake I think people make is they build the brand that hinges on them and their personality and their, their brand. I think an example of this would be like Charlie Trotter, right? When your name is the restaurant, it's hard to scale that because everyone's expecting Charlie Trotter, right? Everyone. So you have to, this is, I mean, this is something that I see people do all the time, especially on the high end of things. And, And it's why that business model is so unsustainable is because it hinges on a person or a few people where, you really, you have to have a brand that stands on its own, that like is dependent on the systems and processes and procedures and not the people, but you still want good people, right? Uh, it's not to say you don't need good people. You you just can't hinge on good people.
1: Well, you don't have to make it about um, a personality. What we do is make it about something that we think our guests could truly crave. And if you make it about that, That's, that's more our focus than trying to make it about a person.
0: Yeah. I think we're going to get into more of that, like where you are today (laughs) and how you're developing brands. Cause that's really what you guys are cranking out brands. Um, but one thing I am curious about, um, is culture. And I think in a world that we live in today, the, 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 the environment that we live in today, especially around sexual harassment and Mm -hmm. like this is becoming, we're being so much more aware of things like this. How hard was it to manage that in a restaurant where it was so sexually driven?
1: You know, it's it's interesting because um, what we did is really just try to kill it with kindness, and uh, we we don't like it, it. It was always to make people feel, you know, you're the man. So you make the customer feel important, but then the team, um, the girls who work in the restaurant. I mean, what do you mean feeling- by that? You're,
0: you're the man? What do you mean by that? I don't think I understand.
1: So in an environment where you walk in, you have a job. Um and you feel special when you walk in. You're the man, you know. You yeah. you know, just like uh, you know, you get together with your buddies and somebody recognizes you and you're you're the man, yeah. you know. And and if you can make people feel like they're the man, yeah, you've you've already created a bit of a soft safe space. Mm-hmm. And then really, it's got to be a safe space for the for the girls to work there and all the employees to work there. Otherwise, you know, it's it's um, it becomes weird, you know. Yeah. And, and I never wanted it to get weird. I wanted it to be normal. I wanted it to be fun. Just not, you know. Um, You know, uh, don't overthink it. Just keep everybody on a friendly basis. And it is. And it was, uh, you know, Hooters had done a lot of trailblazing work on legal things and things like that. And really, we we just kind of, in a way, rode their coattails on a lot of those things. So it made it where it was just they had already paved the way we just got to be able to do it in a with way better food, better people and better training and execution and and way better results, yeah. you know.
0: Did you guys ever use the Home Depot, um Lowe's like business example of like Home Depot came in first and then those came it's, there's similarity in it They just did it better, but they also just opened across the street from a Home Depot. Did you guys ever think about just opening across the street from a Hooters?
1: Yeah, we 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 would know exactly you know where they were, where they were successful, where they weren't, and, yeah. and you know it's pretty industry knowledge of of um, you know how people are doing. And so, as we were scaling, we certainly would look at markets that we thought we could be successful in. And if someone else had already done it, it just felt like we could yeah. go in and do it better. But. I mean, we always had respect for them. I think they had a, a good company and their initial vision and ideas were, were fun and, and really interesting and, and way ahead of its time. So uh, we never did it with any level of disrespect, but more like
0: Was there ever tension between the two brands? No, actually,
1: okay. um I, I I've never felt that, you yeah. know, and I always felt like again, we're super inclusive. So sometimes they would get in bad leases and need help and we could help them or, you know, some of their team as they as they consolidated over the years, some of their team members that left would come to work for us. And, yeah, you know, so I, I think there was always a, a true respect back and forth.
0: The only other quote unquote restaurant type restaurant that I'm aware of is tilted skirt. Is there to kill tilt? Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, is this like, is other, is this a model that you think is going to no. have lasting power going into the future?
1: No, I, I think there's going to be a couple really good, you know, you know, which I, I think right now, I think, Twin Peaks with its growth is, is number one by far. But I, I think that there's, you know, um, going to be a, a certain number of them, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's really a sports bar that's, yeah. um, uh, you know, really the growth category.
0: Well, that's, that was my next question is like, as culture evolves, as people are being much more mindful about just like, just like sexual harassment and just sexuality in general and just, uh, I don't know, like the, I feel like the, the. Women are speaking up women are sick of being objectified right yes. These are conversations oh, that yeah. are happening these are big these are big uh social like social sociological movements that are happening right do you think the way that culture is headed the way that um where i mean is is there a place where restaurants going into the future or do you think this is a dying model so you know how things go too far and then they come back to center yeah
1: that that's exactly what's going to happen in my opinion and I think if um you know, uh, there, there's bad people in every type of business out there, so it it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. And it, and again, I'm a little removed from it because we've you know sold the company quite a few years back. But
0: I was curious if that had anything yeah. to do with it. If you saw where like culture was going, and if if you're thinking maybe that this might be coming at the end of its life. No, no, okay.
1: I I I don't think so. The reason that we really um we we left that business was because we sold to a public company. So okay. on the second sale, it, it was sold to a public company, which really kind of took us out.
0: Got it. And when was that? Sa- when did you guys? Um... The most recent sale was um, maybe about two years ago. Okay. To Fat
1: Brands. So they own it now. Got it. Got it. Yeah.
0: So when you guys, so that's, this was kind of like your your baby, right?
1: I'd, I'd say, you know, we had actually, um, you know, er, early it was. Um, and, but as over time, we had hired leadership to run it. We had hired CEO to run it. We had a whole team. So, Really what happened was I was using most of my time to work on uh, new brands that we were creating um, that were a little bit more culinary focused and, you know, more like what what I would call polished casual.
0: So when did you start to transition away from Twin Peaks to focus on developing new concepts? Probably after three or four years of being there. I mean, it, okay.
1: it started almost immediately. We opened uh, the restaurant called The Ranch at Las Colinas, um, which is uh, a restaurant that we have... Um, Randy and I it was the first brand we created together and we've had it for 15 years. So, so.
0: that was when you were that was in 2008, right? Yeah. So yeah. in order and correct me if any of these dates are off. So yeah. you joined are uh, you joined Front Burner in 2008 or 2007 I want to say or 8? 2008. 2008. 2008. Yeah. Um you also during that time uh, Twin Peaks is, is it was going, already there. It's already yeah. there. Uh, you cl- collaborate with Brandy to Uh, open up the ranch in 2008 you have a whiskey cake that was 2010 2011 was velvet tacos two thousand two thousand thirteen 2013 was mexican sugar 2015 i declare 2016 60 vines 2017 haywire and then 2019 son of a butcher and then i also there's there's other things going on too yeah
1: well um whiskey cake was another one that was 2010 Okay. And uh, also to the food hall business, we started a food hall um, company That's right. um that we opened up in 2017.
0: Okay. I think I actually might have interviewed the woman that was there a woman that was managing that? I think her name's escaping me. No. I've done almost a thousand yeah. interviews, so yeah. it's starting to get a little confusing. Um so I mean you guys are opening a restaurant every year on average or at least like 1.5 every like 1.5 years you're creating a new brand, a new brand. Yeah. A new brand. So
1: and that that doesn't include um so we created the stalls in the food hall too. I have uh, six stalls up there now. So they're all different brands as well. And uh, son of a butcher is a good example of opening up a stall inside our own food hall as a, a separate business and uh, seeing how it does and incubate. then get it ready as an incubator. And now we've grown um, one of those brick and mortar and I have two under construction now.
0: So, I mean, we could talk about so many things. So all collectively, how many total locations, with all the brands, are there behind Front Burner?
1: Um, so cu- currently, um, currently we have. Um, let's see. I'd say probably close to thirty, thirty-five. You know, but they're they're all in a big period of growth. So like, sixty vines. We have six now, but we're opening four this year whiskey cakes we have 12 and we're i you know i think we're opening two or three more this year um hay wires i have uh three but i have you know three leases signed um food halls we have two but i have we're, we're working on two strong leases now so they're they're all in um big growth modes
0: got it um so what, what has been the evolution the organizational chart like evolution of a company like this? Because you guys, it sounds like it's, it's almost like you're taking the systems, you figure out the systems and processes for one model, you have those, and just like a restaurant, you're just kind of taking that shell, that frame, that chassis, the systems, the processes, the way the thing works, and then you're putting a new brand on it.
1: Yeah, but it's it's deeper than just a brand. Well, say say, for example, what we do is we actually create what we call a DNA so that way cuz if it's just you just whip out a brand it doesn't have any real personality or life and i think ours have really like reasons to live like um 60 vines the sustainability model built around keg wine it's something that we built a brand around that and um it's something that uh you know it 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 attracts a very you know clear customer it's uh, it's it's really a, a refinement of you know when you go and you can actually get get a glass of wine and know that it it, it has um, um, you know it's it, you you just save twenty eight bottles going into the trash and twenty eight you know labels and 28 corks and every time you do that and we're going through hundreds of these you know so it's really it it does make a difference and yeah. it's it's uh it's, and the it's kegs really are cool. reusable
0: right aren't those
1: kegs are all reusable yeah. so it's an incredibly sustainable business and really turning it into a model it's the first time it's ever been done so
0: everybody should have a cake in their house <laughs> one, <right? laughs> exactly that's a good reason the, a good the pinot lobby. noir on
1: tap will make you <laughs> yeah. a better person so um but but in doing that it and and building all the the parts around it uh, is what really makes it special. So it's not just because anybody can just whip out a brand, but it's something that the people really want to go to be a part of, you, you know, you create a, a feeling of uh, connection to your consumer. And so we try to do that with each brand. So Haywire is another one that's a great example of, you know, what What I think a lot of people outside of Texas think of Texas is, you know, um, a restaurant that you go and you wear boots and they cut your tie and it's kind of like, ho, 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 you know. So, <laughs> but the, the, the modern Texas, if you've been to places like Marfa and you could bring in art to a restaurant, you could bring in truly, you know, local pro- product that, you know, you can't get in Michigan or California. They, it's only really local here. And so you could actually bring in truly local products that, that are um, from Texas and really give people that experience we find is they're, they're crazy about responding to. I won't
0: lie. I was one of those Eastern a holes. The first time I came to Texas, I was expecting tumbleweeds and deserts and it's, it's a beautiful state. I mean, you get into the tumbleweeds and deserts, but that's like far West. Like, this state is gorgeous, man. I mean, I know we're talking about restaurants, but I'm just saying, I think there's a, a lot of misconceptions about the, about Texas.
1: There are. And I, I think there's even, um, a, a misconception about Texas people. I mean, people, when you live in Texas, you just get this mentality of a, you can do anything. Um, you know, you're, you're proud. There's a, there's a pride about it. And it's, uh, it's something that, um, you know, uh, you know, my, my cynical friends on the East coast don't have that feeling about their states, you know?
0: Mm, yeah. So, um, Colsom Claven was the name I was trying to think of. Is that the woman that's behind your food hall? No, or was she a part? Was that a different? Cl-
1: one? I think you are thinking of oh Colsum Colsum Clavin. Yeah. yeah, so Colsum is actually does our curation of stalls. Okay, yes. So I interviewed. Yeah. her. yeah. That was she's up amazing. Six nine
0: yeah. uh, six ninety four. I didn't make that connection. I yeah. mean, there's just so many, it's such a small world, man. Yeah. Anyway, we 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 that was a really great conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys go check that out. Restaurantunstoppable. dot com slash six ninety four. We get into the economics of food halls small world man
1: yeah so we we started that food hall in um 2017 and um when when you did that interview, did you get a chance to go up there and see it?
0: It's beautiful, and you guys have the stage right outside. I think I remember seeing yeah. that.
1: And our our food hall business is a little different than other food halls. we incorporate music, and you know, really, uh, it's it's a whole it's experience. Three levels, isn't it? it it's is a, three it's levels. A beautiful
0: yeah. facility. We should go check that out. Sam, while we're in town, we can get some beer. And, no, and we opened another
1: longer. one in Nashville at Fifth and Broadway. That's stunning. It's uh, it's it's actually multi-level it has live music it has a 60 vines on the roof restaurant oh, cool. it's really cool nice nice
0: uh you got so much going on man like like how many total brands to, as of today um maybe like seven or eight and of those seven or eight brands how many of them are more than one all of them right all of them all yeah. of them Yeah. um so i can't imagine keeping a thumb on all of that so like From what I would like to do with you is go through the life cycle of a brand from your perspective. So when you're developing a new brand, like what are the things like what are the the boxes you have to check when you're when you're creating a new brand? Like what are the things that you're trying to do to make sure that it's successful from like just concept development to actually executing it?
1: We we have this process that we really believe in um, called creating a DNA. Uh, for a brand and DNA doesn't stand for deoxyribonucleic acid. It it actually stands for uh, uh, differentiation, nuances, and attitude. Okay. And uh, when when you have a DNA for a brand, it, it gives it a reason to live and exist. You know, among uh, a, a land where there's tons of other you know brands, right? So because you really want it to have uh, stand out and be something special, and just like you. You, you think about your kids you know how you want them to grow up and have unique skills and be, be be their own person you kind of think the same way about our brand so when we create a brand put a lot of work on the front end to thinking about how to differentiate it what it should feel like who should work there um in 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 all those type of things so what
0: are ways that you're differentiating your brands like give me an example pull one brand that you have and like what was that narrative what was different about it
1: so um, we opened up Whiskey Cake in 2010 in Plano, Texas. When you went to, in 2010, uh, to Plano, Texas and ate at any restaurant in Plano, uh, there weren't kids with earrings, colored hair, and a unique vibe about them working there. So we went intentionally thought about who do we want to work in this to really represent who the brand is. Um, we really believed in this idea of, um, you know, farm the fork. So what we would do to find those people is um, anyone who we hired, one of the things is they would get a plant. And that plant stayed in the restaurant, and they had to actually take care of that plant the whole time they worked there. And and we kept it in a little green room in, in the restaurant. So it really says that, hey, um, the nourishment of that plant is what we're really trying to do with you and with the brand it, it was just one and how do we really differentiate this so we did it th- first through the people um, we did it through this idea of the the food and really trying to provide local farmers to come in how we could build relationships with them and really and then there was a whiskey culture that was really taken off at the time that you know a lot of people were interested in but you know, they didn't understand how important it was to put, you know, the highest quality ice if you're going to drink good whiskey or or the right glassware to use and things like that. So a lot of those things that we started and, and you didn't do it in a in the city of Dallas, you did it out in a suburb and um, you have people in the suburb who you know, they're out there because of the schools are better and that's why they live out there, but they have great disposable income. They have great, great jobs. They travel the world and,
0: and they don't want to drive an hour to get into the exactly. city. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, that was really when we had a bit of an epiphany of if you really bring, you know, exciting, um, nuanced food and uh, special things to a restaurant, people respond.
0: I think it's a good way to test to see if you have, the, the brand has legs too, because you know, in a big city, you're, your demographic's going to be there. They'll come to you, but i think a lot of bigger brands get in trouble when they try to go to the suburbs and that brand doesn't carry it to the suburbs so if you start in the, in the suburbs it shows that you you it helps kind of suggest that you might have something that has legs
1: it can um it could also work against you too huh. so um say for example a brand like velvet taco yeah if we had built Vel- i think if we had started velvet taco in the burbs it wouldn't have been near as cool as it was starting in the city because we were we were down in um, Knox Henderson area of Dallas and we were open to four o'clock every morning. So you you had lines of people coming out of the bars lined up for tacos and it it made it the coolest brand and yeah. I made it the coolest experience. And so I, I think you have to be super nuanced about your real estate strategy as part of this whole DNA process of where, where are you and where your customers are and who do you want to grow up and be? Do you want to grow up and be, you know, the suburban guy or do you want to be the hip urban guy or, and we, we think about all that when we create a
0: brand. Yeah. And I think the brand that's coming to my mind right now is 60 vines because I think you, you, you think, when you say differentiation i think of unique selling proposition is the yeah. word that i think and that just drinking wine out of a keg i feel like is just a very unique thing to go experience that and to the the all the added benefits of this is also like low carbon fo- footprint like and then you get to use that as part of your brand to really people feel good drinking wine like I'm saving the world yeah you know while getting drunk on wine but it's like I don't know like so what give me another example one more example of differentiation before we move on uh, to N and A in the DNA abbreviation so so say um
1: you know um. <laughs> So So, we have um a brand called Haywire in Plano that's um, very successful and uh, we we have a third floor and uh, it was such an expensive restaurant to build out We thought okay we immediately we didn't we we made the restaurant successful, but the third floor wasn't that busy, so we kind of went back to the roots of okay, how do we make this special?" And uh, if, again, I'm coming back to this story about Marfa, Texas. In Marfa, Texas, you could actually go to places where you rent teepees, so we actually built teepees on the roof on the third floor and created this whole environment that was so differentiated for Plano, Texas that it really, again, it took courage and uh, to create an experience never imagined. Cause I don't think anybody in Plano, Texas would think they would go up to a, a roof and sit in a teepee and actually have a great time with their wife and enjoy a really great meal, you know? Yeah. So, um, that's, that's the kind of things that it's just. You know, it gives me a kick, you know, yeah. I just get
0: a kick out of it. The conversation I have with Peter Lazar is coming. If you guys haven't listened to that episode with Peter, go check it out. Just search restaurant unstoppable. Peter Lazar uh, about the juxtaposition. we were talking a lot about just juxtaposition and, and, and not being afraid to do something that just stands out and that is truly unique to that location. Uh, is that something you try to do with every one of your locations? Mm hmm. Yep. So w- let's get into the NNA. W- okay. w- what's the NNA stand for? Again? OK,
1: Um. so nuance. Well, the, the craziest thing about, um, you know, probably one of the biggest things that um, FrontBurner has done is create food halls. And uh, there's a, when a developer came to us, who was a good friend of ours, and he said, hey, I've got this key mark site. Um, I need a big idea. And so um, my partner and I, Randy, we, we kind of You know, took a couple trips to New York, L.A., thought, well, what could you do there? He wanted to make it really something unique and special. And so we thought a lot about it. And again, this is 2015, 2016. And it just so happened, we were over in um, Holland. And uh, in Amsterdam, we actually saw a food hall. And what was different about this food hall was the bars were run by the ownership group. And um, we met them. We talked to them for a long time and thought about how this would play back in Plano, Texas. And so, um, you know, the idea of creating a nuanced European food hall in Plano is is beyond nuance. It's it's kind of crazy when you really think about it. And then to build a third floor, a three floor building, having you know no history of it, and then putting a brewery on the third floor, a live music stage, so. Um, you know, the, this idea of really saying trusting your guests, if you create a nu- nuanced experience of creating a European food hall, you know—are are they going to come? And and we really believe they would, and we really thought this could really kick off a business for us, and it, and it really has. So,
0: so how exactly is nuance different from differentiation? Because I feel like the definition of nuance is a subtle difference in or. Shade of meaning, expression, or sound, because I I kind of knew the definition of nuance, yeah. but I looked it up just to make sure I was understanding. So, so, so how is nuance different than differentiation? So, differentiation is something
1: that's key, um, like saying offering uh, keg wine at Sixty Vines. Okay, nuance to me is when you walk into a food hall in Plano, Texas, and the first thing you see is a uh, a bar that's designed like a train station coming out of Europe, and you know, it, it's something that probably if you had been to Spain and France and walked through food halls, which new customers would walk in and go, oh my God, I've been to somewhere like this. Yeah. And that the nuance of that design and that whole experience was what really, uh, you know, kind of captivated people to really become big fans of, of, of our food halls. Got
0: it. So the last letter is A. DNA. What what was that again? Is attitude. And so, what do you mean by attitude? And,
1: and it's attitude and attitudes, right? So it's 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 about a brand. Um, if it doesn't have an attitude, it, it really probably shouldn't exist. Like if you're going for a brand that's vanilla and makes everybody happy, you probably shouldn't open it. Or if you have it open, it probably should think about an exit strategy. Okay. You know, so everything it needs to have an attitude. It needs to be really clear on who it is and why it exists and, and, you know, just have an attitude.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, give me an example of attitude in one of your, 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 your brands. So I
1: I think one that really, um, stands out from an attitude standpoint is called I declare and, uh, it's, it's a Southern, um, you know, gastropub and we have uh fortune tellers that come in at a happy hour and we have, uh, you know the bartenders are actually the DJs and play music and uh you know it's it's something that it says this is who we are come and like us or 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 don't you yeah know? it's almost
0: like the personality of a person like knowing yeah. your personality and leaning into that personality and making that personality like owning that be uniquely yourself and don't be ashamed of that right I,
1: I think when um what happens is restaurant brands uh sometimes get too big of h r departments and they have to feel like they have to be everything to everybody in the same and i think when you do that it's like vanilla you so know, what's
0: the, what's the trick of getting around that because i agree i think that like you said earlier when we we're talking about things kind of level out right um i think like what can you do to protect yourself from having the wrong people get in that will kind of hold you back from being yourself
1: well i i think again if you're really living your um you know your your mission and you said it it takes courage right so uh you have to be ready to stand by and and stand up for you know who you are and you're you're not trying to be everything to everybody you know you you are who you are yeah. and you want to be you want to make each brand a little distinctive and different and keep their own personalities th- also
0: just putting your foot down about what, who who you're actually hiring and are they a good fit for our brand you know and i think sometimes we we in in a market that's really hard to find people, if you're interested in working for us, we'll hire you. But like, what are we doing to the brand? Are you who we say we are?
1: You're destroying the brand. So if you if you have um, if you're just hiring people with the pulse, you're gonna and people feel like they need people so desperately. Um, but I think that's a, a really common mistake. The the right thing to do is slow down, uh, do it right, take your time. You know, just just get the right people on your team, or else. Um, you, you're gonna you're gonna dilute your brand got it
0: um so if we're transitioning to the like present time um as of 2020 um i'm your partner uh Randy DeWitt, uh is a chairman and you are now the ceo of Frontrunner.
1: yeah so we went through um
0: so front front burner
1: yeah as we went through covid we actually um rebranded the company from uh front burner to fb society why was that? Um, the big thing is, is that we couldn't get a clear trademark on front burner. There was another front burner. Uh, restaurant group that had already owned the trademark in Florida. Okay. And they're really nice people and they were really gracious with us. As a matter of fact, their secretary would call us up and say, Hey, I, I've got messages for you guys. Can I give them to you? And it, <laughs> it just got to be a point that yeah. um, as we were growing, and even though people really don't know us that well, they know our brands, it just kind of turned into a bit of a problem. So yeah. uh, we decided to rebrand um, through that process. And um, and, and we did we just kind of it gave us the opportunity to kind of reinforce what our uh, company missions are and who we are and we want to create a, an evergreen company that that continues to grow on past Randy past myself
0: so what is it about Fb society so you went from front burner restaurants to Fb society so you're you're getting rid of the the front burner like identity right but you're also throwing the word society instead of restaurant why why that what's a what's a, what's the difference between society and restaurant
1: yeah well you we didn't get rid of front burner because really the fb stands for true, front true. burner or food and beverage or could be a lot of things yeah, it's yeah. it's really a double entendre for a lot of things but the society of you know um you you create a team and it's it's a team it it takes an army it's it's uh so Randy and I are partners in this business, but we have CEOs, we have tons of VP of ops, we have all kinds of people. And it takes an army to execute a really good brand. And I think that um, putting those people as the society and the team that's really the the ones that can execute this and put it together is, is really our, our mission today. It's where probably I spend most of my time on today is just the people.
0: Yeah. You also um, said, I think you're on record saying that you're And during this pivot, you're going away from, uh, full service, uh, like elevated casual dining to more fast casual was going to be your, your,
1: we did, we, we, well, we did diversify. So we got into, we, we bought a catering company and have grown that, um, we've gotten into fast casual really, um, elevated our, our whole footprint with food halls and um, I, I don't think we'll ever get away from um, full service because we have so many brands that we need to develop. But a lot of the new brands that we're working on are, um, you know, more fast casual. What's brands. the reason
0: for that? What why why make this pivot? Why focus on fast casual?
1: Well, fast casual, it's worked really well. I mean, I think this idea of, um, polished fast casual, where you take the quality of the food up a little bit, kind of like what we did at velvet taco. And we're actually doing it right now with son of a butcher. It's, it's just making a, um, a fast casual experience to the consumer who has, uh, they, they want, um, better food for their kids. They want better food for themselves. They want a little higher quality. Um, I think there's a market there and it's, it's definitely growing.
0: Yep. Um, the only thing we one thing that I want to talk about is to really kind of paint the picture of what your organizational like like like, like what are the, the you, you mentioned earlier it's a society you have all these different concepts so within all those different concepts you have all these these titles these roles like what does it look like what are like break that down paint that picture of what your org chart looks like.
1: So um, it's actually as a portfolio company we have um, funding of some uh, brands versus others so with, they're all kind of in. Um, like their own holding companies. So the the overall holding company is, you know, FB Society. Um, But within, with underneath that, you have, you know, say a leader who would run a group of restaurants, and then that person would have theirs. And then what's really shared is a lot of accounting, finance, and resources, you know, so all those resources that are shared across a platform of of a, you know, a multi-portfolio company.
0: So, accounting, finance. When you say resources, what do you mean?
1: So, so if you have really smart people in beverage on one brand, they could help somebody on another brand. You know, so you just have tons of resources. If you have somebody who needs a job coach, you got job coaches internally. You know, yeah. you've got you've got like years and years and years of talent that are all within the company who could help other brands and support them, and uh, it's a very collaborative, um, you know,
0: kind of culture. So, under one concept. What are the different titles you might see under every one of your concepts? What are the, the common co- titles?
1: So it, as they scale, they get, you know, more executive leadership, but the yeah. ones that have grown out probably the most, you would see a C CEO. Yeah. Um, you'd probably see a, a VP of ops. And then, uh, you know, we, we have a shared, uh, CMO right now between all the brands, but they would have dedicated probably VP of marketing. So, and then dedicated, uh, training at every brand.
0: Okay. So those are the, the, you know, the, the leadership roles for each brand. Um, obviously you have general managers and assistant managers and all the way down, all the way down, all the stuff that we hear about often. Um, and then what you're sharing basically is accounting uh, and finance, um, see your CFO and the accountants. And then I think this is really interesting said resources. And this is something that I've seen in different, uh, markets where the way that I kind of, Describe it as polyamorous business partners, but they're not really sleeping together, just going to business together. Where, like, you might have uh, a, an executive chef at this restaurant. Who came up and was known as like the food guy, and then over here at this bar, there's this this craft cocktail person that comes up, and they 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 build their success on that skill, and then they they like, well, if we were to partner up, like we could bring the best of both worlds, and then you see all these different business partners who were became successful because of their their personal unique selling proposition, the thing that made them. Talented or whatever and they realize that we can Go further together and all have Equity in these businesses if we just start Using each other's skills and leaning on each other's Skills and weaknesses and it's like being A better collective than we could ever be On our own and it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing Internally
1: yeah and but you we kind Of when you think about like um, uh, Young businesses in Dallas That's how a lot of them start right so um, You know we just have some of those Resources internally yeah um, but No it, it it is like kind of the The chef who meets a really good, um, you know, um, you know, bar guy who meets a really good, you know, smart business guy who can be the GM of the restaurant. And that's how they start a brand that that is kind of like as an entrepreneurial restaurant startup is very much what's happening in the market today.
0: Yeah. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is you don't need to have an executive chef forever or or a director of culinary forever for every restaurant. You can have that that creative talent who is, because that's your biggest expense. So why have that title when you can just have one person is your job is to create the dishes. And then you have somebody in the training department who helps that that team who executes your dish. You know, like that creative element doesn't need to be in every restaurant. No, and, and I think um, you save a lot by just keeping people in their lane and, and sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah,
1: no, you're, you're right, 100%. And a lot of the people who have been those creative forces in our company have gone on to do other things and a lot of them still come back as consultants and help us. So yeah. it's it's kind of like what you're talk, talking about earlier, where people can leave the nest, but they can also come back. You know, yeah. and find a way that they don't have to be employees of ours, but they can you know, you know be paid for a function or something to help.
0: Yeah, and I think as chefs get savvy and they learn more about business, they're going to recognize their value as intellectual people are so creators of intellectual like intelligence property. Like, hey, like I bring something more than a paycheck. Like I'm creative, and creative is the, the real hard thing to recreate. So if you are a creative talented person you can go so much further by just kind of being a hired gun on the creative front and then you you create something and then you help put the systems in place to execute that thing
1: so it's kind of a um yes and no okay um it it can be valuable but it also could be um a little like unfulfilling um, you know, if, if you're really a person that believes in what you're doing and you, you share this idea with a company and they don't execute it right and you have no control over it, it's actually very unfulfilling. And so, see that. um, as opposed to being part of a team that you actually make contributions and you're proud of, and cause I'm going to tell you all those chefs that are consultants, they're not telling their friends and family to go eat in that restaurant that they just did. Cause they know that it's not going to get executed to the way they want it yeah. to do. So, yeah. so actually being part of a team that really, actually does what they say and say what they do and actually you bring something to life that you're proud of and you want to send your friends and family there's what what tends to be more attractive
0: to some of those people got it got it so um where do we leave us so we we kind of went through uh each individual concept and the roles that are there but what what about here like at hq like what are the titles that are here like i walk by all those offices there's cubicles everywhere this is a huge operation you got going on like what's happening here
1: So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, you know, the, the, the support work, you know, this is really a support office. So we, we support all the restaurants out in the field. So, um, for them to really keep, keep their eye on the ball and to do an excellent job, we got to trust that we can really execute, you know, the P and L's right, all the accounting, right, all the execution of that. And so that's, that's a lot of what we do here at the support
0: office. Got it. Um, Sam's off in the corner. Uh, do you, Any questions that – because not a lot of people know. So Sam's the videographer who's been traveling. He's so much more than that. He does the social media as well. But he was also – he owned seven restaurants at one point or a partner. So he brings a a, a cool perspective to what I'm doing because I got yeah. to lean on like, Sam. Sam, like, if you are listening to this podcast, if you wanted to ask a question, what would you ask? So I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Anything that I haven't asked. Uh, what would you say is the major difference for- five years ago to today in your corporate structure how they operate and you
1: know, the positions that have changed the positions have changed because we're in a, a fairly big um growth mode is definitely on construction and development we had to bring in more talent to be able to execute that i mean it's just it, it's harder than it looks and in particular today with the cities you know um yeah. and the, those decisions on that are, are huge because they'll make or break you if you have a pick a, pick a, a site and it's, it's not the right site or you don't execute it. I mean, it, it could really, especially a small company, it, it can make a really, uh, um, a bad trajectory for you, you know? So, um, but I, I think that's where we've really added talent and layered it in and construction and development and put resources behind it to really do a better job to, for over the last, um, five years to be able to scale to the next, you know, five to 10 years effectively. And also to, um, financial i just think that when you have uh, a finance team that treats the money like it's their money and they're really like um focus on good systems and procedures you know there's a certain you got to protect yourself against you know fraud in the market and all kinds of crazy stuff going on of third-party vendors charging you ridiculous amounts and so you you really need like good information and you need to really present it really presented to the ops team in a really like logical manner you know so and i think uh you know, that's really what we put a lot of effort and resources into really set our teams up. And because we, we know we can create great brands. But what we want to do is now is create a great support office that that helps those brands be more successful. Yeah.
0: And they're constantly plugged in, too, which I think is a big part of the. there's constant evolution. And like you get your restaurant to a place where it's like it's top notch systems or like the the, the systems, of processes, the technology is the best of the best. A year goes by, and there's an even more efficient way to do something. Absolutely. Right? But it's so hard to be so plugged into all those different verticals because there's so much going on, especially with the technology front. And as the, our, our dining rooms are bleeding out into literally every house because now we're not limited by how many people we can see in our restaurant with takeout, you know, like, but that world is so vastly evolving and it's so it can be like so hard to keep up with so you need specialists to
1: be yeah our, our it department is certainly the other one that's really scaled and, yeah and and think about it everything's on the phone right so yeah. um even when um People choose restaurants you know it's it 's a relationship between i t and marketing because you need the right content on there that 's really defining what you are, and then you need that presented to the consumer that in a, an attractive way and a an easy way for them to access that information on the phone to make good decisions yeah
0: so where where are you today in like as far as like moving forward into the future, paying attention to the trends, where the industry is going what are you what is front burner fb society doing mm-hmm. to evolve? and to stay relevant going into the future? How are you evolving right now? I,
1: I think the way that we evolve over the next couple of years is uh, a, a couple of ways. It's really trying to be um, the entrepreneurial company that we always have, have like set out to be. So we've been investing into um, different products that are associated with um, hospitality and food and um, you know, try to really uh, be early uh, pioneers of um, – uh, unique products that are coming out. So when you we say stay, products, are you products,
0: you're talking about the actual food we're consuming, like so, the trends in food? So I'd or? say,
1: yeah, like in, say like a, we we invested in a, a company called uh, Richard's Rainwater, which is a sustainable water company out of Austin who's scaling across the country. Uh, Spiritless is a, uh, a whiskey distillery that takes the liquor out of it so you can drink uh, non-alcoholic cocktails. Uh, so we invest in early incubation of that different tech companies that support restaurants. And then um, my partner and I have both started investing into other restaurant companies who are young, upcoming, where they need, they need support, they need help, they need, uh, uh, we'll help them start advisory boards, we'll help them to, you know, how, how to get finance, how to get, um, you know, what's the next step of their G&A process of who they really need to hire next and just kind of be an advisor to them. So um, what what FrontBurner, I, I think, and, and FB Society the next couple of years, we're going to develop into a company that just uh, is um, immersed in all different types of restaurant ventures and, and also still creating new brands. Um, Growing our existing brands and just um, you know trying to stay on the forefront of what's coming next.
0: So, what are the big trends that are are coming next? So, you talked about the products and and basically associating tying your brands to other brands that are out there. Uh, But what like what are the big things that are happening right now that you think is the future of the industry?
1: So, uh, I think. there's I could go we could talk about technology because that's 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 an obvious one that that it's already kind of already been overdone to a certain degree. Um, we could talk about um, you know real estate and where people are going. but I think the big thing is just people and resources and um, you know when you think about uh, the companies are going to be successful, it's going to be the people with the best talent. and how do you keep the best talent, how do you attract the best talent? And thinking about what your employee needs today to what they needed five years ago is does take a lot of like forethinking of where where it's going. And and it is uh, the, the the restaurant company with the best talent is gonna win every time. So that is really where it's going, and we're putting a lot of resources into thinking through. How, how do we really uh, create special moments special times how do we how do we attract people to our brands and and you got to have good brands to attract people that they identify with. so you know the next feeling.
0: question right how do you attract people to your brand how are you getting these this talent what are you doing so, to attract so this if
1: talent? if you if you um you know and, and it's funny our, our messages aren't things that you shout from the rooftops it's just be subtle you know i think that if you if you're bragging on it versus just being it and living it it's different like the sustainability of 60 i think really attracts a young person who is interested in wine you know and and they see it all in, almost as a journey where i i can work for this company it'll teach me all this stuff and and let let me explore that interest that i have Um, So I I think a person who would work at at whiskey cake specifically might have a real interest in uh, brown spirits or just could be interested in, you know, like, you know, local farming and things like that. So, I think when when a brand is on a mission, it kind of attracts a certain person and you really those people thrive and grow in that and and it presents more opportunities because you need you need managers and then you need general managers and then you need VP of ops and and this person who really becomes an expert on that subject matter becomes a person that could lead that brand and I I've been through the journey myself and it's not like I'm that exceptionally smart or talented. So, Anyone can do it. It just, you just have to, you know, be at the right time, have the right teachers and anyone could follow that same journey that I've been on.
0: Yeah. What do you think the biggest challenges are going to be going to the future for restaurant operators? And like, what are those challenges?
1: So, so, Restaurant operators, as someone who's operating a restaurant, or, or, or restaurant owners and, and what's happening in the... i say owners. Okay. So because I, I think when you look at um, right now the real estate market, it's it's more expensive than it's ever been uh, on the rents. It's more expensive on construction costs as much as 30% of what it was two years ago um, and the whole economics of it. And then, you know, the different states. In each state, there's different liquor laws, um, there's different labor laws. And so I, I think, um, uh, an owner that really wants to scale, um, man, you need an army to figure all this out because yeah. it is, it is, uh, more challenging than it's ever been and yeah. more confusing than it's ever been. And yeah. you might think you're absolutely doing something right, but then you're in a different state and they have different laws and it's just, you didn't mean to do it, but it it had happened. Yeah. So exactly.
0: I'm surprised you didn't mention labor expenses going up. Is, is that something that you're experiencing as well?
1: It, it is, but, um, I think it's a necessary, um, la- labor, uh, is going up, but it is, um, you know, it, it, it all still works, you know, and, um, in particular, when you look at where we are operating out of Texas, it's, it's got, you know, better labor laws than other states. So, yeah. and as we're moving into the Southeast, it all, it's all a little bit different, um, models, but it, it you know, if the consumer is, um, Used to paying those prices and you have elasticity, it just, and you just, then it just comes down to good execution. Yeah.
0: So, Restaurant Unstoppable's mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. We're definitely inspired after listening to your story. You've given us a lot of great advice and knowledge. But around this idea of transformation, in your opinion, what needs to change? If we're going to move into the industry and make the industry better, uh, what are the things that you think need to change about our industry?
1: I think, I think, um, I, I think the the industry needs to continue to give back. I, I think there's missions like um you know some of the things that we've started with uh, you know through COVID, we actually created a a non called um um furlough kitchen. Uh and you mentioned walk ons earlier, they're very cool guys. So they actually actually opened a couple of furlough kitchens in their restaurants nice. during the, the whole COVID episode. So I think giving back and really finding ways that uh, restaurants can um, really be uh, more than just giving gift certificates to, uh, you know, fundraisers, um, be a real bigger part of communities. And I think that, uh, you know, that's what we're, we're seeking to do with some of our missions of, you know, supporting Ukraine of always trying to find something that we can do to help out. And, and, and we, <laughs> we do still give lots of gift certificates, but uh, as a mission, what I would like to do and see restaurants do is be a, a bigger part of the community than just just yeah. being that.
0: i think one thing that really puts that into perspective that i i think we've lost sight of what restaurants were uh and what what are you know what we evolved from and as the hospitality industry restaurants bars pubs taverns they were the the central point the more important than than churches at one point going back i'm talking like when we were like settling this country you know like every to be a town it was a i think a law rule that you needed a pub Because that was like the spoke, that was the center of everything. Like you got your mail there, you got your news there, you got you did your politics there, you did your selling, like it was the center, like literally revolution started in in bars. And it was it was places where people came together to talk and to make change, to communicate, and it was the community. And I think we've gotten away from that where it's no longer the community. It's a place to go get a meal. And it's very—it's become much more transactional. I think we need to kind of reconnect with our roots and, and say, that, hey, we we influence people. We are influencers. We can create change. People listen to us. We have pull. We have influence. Let, let's do something to make a better future for everybody. What's going through your mind? You're shaking your head.
1: So um, last night, um, one of the companies that I'm an investor is here locally called Truckyard. And uh the owner of Truckyard, a good friend of mine, Jason Basso, he built this new truckyard restaurant.
0: Past guests on the show as well.
1: Uh, it, uh yeah, Jason's an amazing guy. And so so we're sitting there last night and it's just the opening night of um you know, this property out in Fort Worth, and Alliance, and uh there's no TVs. And uh, you know, it's shocking because I'm like, Jason, there's no TVs he goes I want people to talk to each other. (laughs) I don't want them to get distracted. I want them to focus on who they're with. And, you know, when, when you talk about where the industry started, it's people like Jason who would do something completely unconventional of what no one else wants to do is what makes our, our business special. Because that, that, that idea of like sitting around a fire pit at night and just chatting with friends and family and having a really place to connect that, you know, there's not the distraction of TVs or other things going on. It was just really a, you know, it, it just really kind of, I thought that took a lot of courage to do. And I thought it was an amazing thing. And I just think that that's where, you know, our industry really needs to, to not try to be like everybody else and do what everybody
0: else is doing. Yeah. I love that. Um, so again, inspire and power transform. We talked about how the industry needs to transform. How have you personally transformed? Who is Jack Evans today versus the Jack Evans getting started in this industry?
1: You know, um, I, I think if there's anything I could go back and change, um, I would change one thing and that I would have gotten on my entrepreneurial, uh, journey sooner. Why is Um, that? I, th- I just think that there was, um, you know, it, there's a lot of fear and risk. And, um, you know, when you, you, you have a stable job and all of a sudden when you become a, a, an entrepreneur, it's, it's not stable. And so, uh, I think there's, there's risk in it, but I, I wish at that time I had just started a little earlier yeah. because, uh, there's such a, um, a feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment of creating things, um, having vision, sharing it with other people, you know, creating teams, you know, it's just, it's, it's an amazing journey. And I think yeah. that, uh, uh, people are a lot more talented than they realize. They just get stuck in a job and it, it does, it takes courage and it takes Partners and and all those things to to break out of that, but yeah. I think it's all doable, and yeah. I think that uh, if anything, I would I would
0: encourage people to take a leap. I'm just thinking, like when you're younger, it's it's easier to take a risk. You can recover much easier. No question. Failure. You yeah. can go move in with mom and dad if yeah. you if you you know like there's things you can do when you're younger. You can recover from risk easier. And I think the other big part of this success, just a lot of it, just has to do with the persistence over time. So the sooner you start this you know it might not happen faster but you'll be able to experience that excess for much more of your life because you started earlier right
1: i, I think so and it, it's a uh, when you um it, it the what happens is i think a lot of companies is they they get you where you have kids you you know you're afraid to take it because yeah. you, you you know you got a life you got to take yeah. care of other people too and it just it's hard to do you yeah. know but uh you know, I I think that uh, the sooner you do it, the the better off you are. Got
0: it. I love this conversation. Seriously, uh, one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're gonna bust out a speed round. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Look, I don't need to explain to you that restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever, trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend pop menu answering. Pop menu answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. This is because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like... Can I make a reservation or where are you located or what are your hours? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop menu answering picks up your phone call 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most, your guests in-house. The time is now to prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock-in one. dollars Unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about pop menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We are back and it's time to bust out a true speed round. I know you're a busy de- guy today. We're going to try to wrap this up quick for you. Uh, what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I think a lot of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I can feel that. Uh, What is your biggest weakness?
1: Uh, I'd say taking on too much.
0: Oh, I hear that. How do you overcome that weakness? Uh, Just reinforce
1: it all the time. I mean, I just, I just, I'm so guilty of it. (laughs) I want to do it all.
0: Right. Uh, What is one question you ask or one thing you look for when you're growing your team?
1: Um, I think, uh, real people like people who, um, you know, give you real answers and, and aren't fake. Yeah. Um, what
0: is your biggest challenge today?
1: Um, p- p- getting the best people out there, people that are smarter than me and just, uh, building a team The people that are constantly trying to upgrade.
0: What new things are you doing to overcome this challenge?
1: You know, um, we're doing some new testing. I don't know if you have heard of strength finders.
0: Uh, Yeah it's like the personality testing, right? It's pretty awesome. Yeah.
1: And I think it's really kind of helping me to connect better and understand what, uh, people's strengths are that I can really build on and and uh, it also helps me know myself better.
0: It's, yeah, th- I was just going to say like I think everybody not just to have your people take it so you can understand them but those are eye opening tests 100%. and it's hard to be honest with yourself taking those tests. I remember the first test that was similar to that I took when I was in high school but I remember answering the questions as if a commercial pilot would be answering them because that's what I told myself I wanted to do and I wasn't being honest with myself but the the second and third time I took one of those tests like I was brutal with myself and and it, it just opens your eyes. It really helps you figure out what path to put yourself. On. Oh, it's super. It, it helps you in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, share one uncommon standard of service you teach your team. So, this is a way to go above and beyond what's expected from the guests in your restaurants.
1: Um,. On standard, I'd say um, you know a lot of the traditional things, but I, I think I' um, one thing in our company we're real sticklers for is uh, quality of ice, quality of glassware, things that you know other companies I just wonder, man, you're gonna, you're gonna expel and uh, try to sell expensive tequila or whiskey and give them shitty ice. so it like, makes no sense. To second
0: me. time you mentioned that, and I'm curious like what is your process for making ice? Like how do you make good quality ice?
1: Um, well, you, you got to get really quality ice machines, and then sometimes we buy it actually by people who are experts at making ice. We don't make it ourselves. Well, so. I think
0: the the other obvious thing is quality water. Right? Oh no <laughs> question. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So, so do you just have like a filter system with the ice you're making? Like, are you sourcing water and bringing it in?
1: Yeah, no. If you've ever seen how these climb belt machines work and how they actually the the um, The water um, has impurities in it and what it does to the cloudiness of the ice, and there's a whole science behind it. So, again, I have people way smarter than me, and I I just know what I want, and I want a really clear ice, and I want one that dilutes really slowly, and so – um, depending on the size of cocktail you're making and what type of ice you're putting in it. But I just think it's, it's a differentiator, and I don't think enough people pay attention to Can it. Can you
0: give us some, like, keywords if we're like, oh, I never thought about stepping up my ice game? Like, word like these are the things, like, look up these things to help you find good ice. Like, what are those things?
1: Yeah, like, uh, well, Kleinbell is the name of the machine that actually makes giant ice blocks okay. and what they cut down for for that type of ice that Was you that see. Is that
0: C-L-A-M, Cl- Kleinbell?
1: Climbell Kleinbell. Yeah, so, uh, but I think when you look at ice, it's the dilution of, you know how fast or slow it melts um you know like if you you know people like sonic ice for soda but it's it's terrible for any cocktails you know uh you know and then um you know clarity to the how clear the ice is and and is it the right ice for the particular drink that you're yeah. making so. also
0: freezing from the inside out has a big part of it too it, it, right? does, well yeah.
1: when it does it slows down so the impurities actually leave and you're actually able to get more more visibility through the ice yeah. so there's yeah. a lot of little
0: tricks and so much yeah. for a speed round i apologize i always ask oh, your yeah. questions yeah share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team so this is a core value you teach your team i think
1: um you know professionalism. I think there's a, a a level of, you know, you know, you're in a restaurant, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of testosterone, you know, and that, you know, just handling things in a professional manner that, um, the way you would be like, like to be treated. I I think that's something that's really um, important to me.
0: What is one book that's a must read to makes a better person or restaurant owner?
1: Well, ironically, the book I'm reading right now is unstoppable and I'm about halfway through and it's really good.
0: That's Um, uh, the, the athletic trainer, right? no, No, this is the guy
1: from, um, um, actually from, he will, Oh, Guterra, uh, Guterra. Yeah. Oh, he was used to thing? work for Danny Meyer.
0: Unstoppable hospitality. Yes. Yeah,
1: Unstoppable that,
0: hospitality. Uh, is that what it is?
1: Unreasonable, Unreasonable, Unreasonable. hospitality. That's what it was. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to get, Hey, Will. if you're listening, you want to come on the show, you're welcome. I would love to have him like, get him on the show. Yeah. He's hard to get a hold of. Like he's got like, w- like walls of like layers of people, gatekeepers. So Let's make it happen. I'm sure
1: he's a busy guy, you know? Oh, I'm sure. Uh,
0: What is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do often enough or well enough?
1: Um, probably eat in their own restaurants. I mean, what happens when you do that? You, you learn things and you, you figure out how to be better and you get the whole experience that your, your journeys, that your, your customers are on and your employees, you know,
0: what is one piece of technology that you've recently adopted in your restaurants? that's having a huge impact on bottom line communication efficiency. Things so I
1: like definitely call out huddle one. I don't know if you've heard of huddle one. It's, um, gamification of training. Mm-hmm. Um, It's also a company I invested in and it's a great company and they're awesome team. And huddle one is, uh, we, we've rolled it out at all of our restaurants. So when you think about training and how it works in restaurants and, you know, somebody writes paper and then they give it to another person and that person is the manager and they need to kind of get all the information down to all the employees. It's super hard to do. Not everybody works on the same day where, you know, by gamification and putting on your phone is what Huddle One does. Now your training person is taking their training material and going straight to everybody on the team with the same material. And uh, it's a great way to just have like daily contests and daily information and, uh it's, it's really the communication has improved substantially with this.
0: Um, and where are they based? Oh, I think they're in California. Oh, they're in California. I was hoping they'd be here. I was May, like, we can make that interview. Maybe not.
1: No, they're not. But I'm I'm happy to introduce you to it. I mean, the, yeah, the I CEO and the founder is really great guys, and they're really cool.
0: I love interviewing companies like that. And that's part of what we, when we talk to people like you. But really, what, what I'm doing talking to you is looking for leads yeah. to, to learn more about the different companies that are out there. So that's called Huddle One. Huddle One. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. All righty. If you got the news, you'll be leaving this world today. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be?
1: Um, I mean... Three pieces of wisdom that I would say, um, if I was leaving this world, would be to someone is spend as much time with your family as you can and do exciting, fun things together. One. Um, Pour yourself into your work, and if you're going to create a product, make an exceptional product. Two. And, uh, if you're going to spend time with people at work, make sure that you're spending time with the most exceptional people and doing fun projects together. I love it. Yeah.
0: This has been a lot of fun, Jack. Thank you so much. Um, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. Who do you respect and admire? If you found out there are guests in the show, just spill on knowledge, spill on wisdom. You'd absolutely listen to that episode. Who is that?
1: So I'd say, um, we mentioned Jason Basso, who um, I'm partners with um, in in Truckyard and think he's an exceptional uh, restaurant leader. And uh, the other team that uh, I've gotten to know and really think uh, is uh, a really cool growing company is uh, Uchi out of Austin. And... Uh, Tony Montevero is is a really talented CEO, and I think uh, he's he's got a lot of great things to share. Yeah,
0: uh, Tony's been on my radar for a while. I'd love to get him on the show. We connected with Jason uh, back; he was episode 556, but he's due for a follow up interview because it's been about five years. That was 2018, exactly five years. So I would love, and one of the things I want to do as we're approaching 10 years here at Restaurant Unstoppable is like go back to past guests and be like, what's happened over the past five to 10 years? Like, and really drill down and get specific, get Grand Lear. So Jason, if you're listening, man, I would love to make that happen. Tony, obviously, you're always welcome as well. And how can we connect with you if we listen to, the, to today's story? Uh, we're inspired by you. Um, maybe we're looking for a career change. Maybe we want to come join your team. What's the best way to connect? Uh,
1: FBSociety.com and uh, our website. Yeah.
0: Jack Gibbons, thank you so much, my man. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Eric. Thank you. Appreciate Cheers. It. Yeah. yeah absolutely awesome there's another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable special thanks to our guest today Jack Gibbons for coming on sharing your knowledge and man just so much going on in, in such an incredible career and I think the big underlying message for me is just modesty and making it about everyone else but you and staying in the background and uh, man just what an Incredible career, awesome stuff. So, if you're enjoying today's podcast and you want more like it, we need your support. And there's a ton of ways you can support the show. One way is to support our sponsors. Uh, the other way is to use our affiliate links when tools or services are being recommended on the show. Follow up in the show notes, use those links, and thank you in advance. And you can share this podcast with everybody and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. Uh, we have tons of YouTube shorts right now. If you head over to youtubecom restaurantunstoppable we have tons of amazing shorts that Sam has been working on that are very shareable. Wink, wink, hint, hint. And subscribe while we're over there Thank you very much But the way I think you can get the most out of this podcast And support the podcast at the same time Is to join Restaurant Unstoppable Network Where I'm connecting my guests with each other But more importantly, I'm connecting my guests With the next generation of professionals We're paying it forward and that's you So if you want to connect with my guests Ask them your questions And connect with the, the pros that have been referred to me In nearly 1,000 episodes Head over to Unstoppable network.com Or if you go to the show notes, we have A link to the network for a 30 day trial So if You know, you just want to go test it out And you don't want to commit and you want to make sure it's right for you You can, uh, you know, sign up uh, For 30 days Before your charge and if it's not for you, just cancel uh, And what we have going on This week in the network, we have Ask a Pro. Rudy Mick and Bob Sloop are going to be making themselves available to answer any questions you might have. And we also have an Ask a Peer series uh, with Sean Lyons, one of the owners of germantown cafe in nashville tennessee uh, who's just there to talk anything personal whether you know we, we focus so much on our, our businesses sometimes we neglect ourselves and we need that support so sean's there to, to be your support and as we go into the future we're gonna have more and more pros available to answer your questions and i can't say goodbye without saying thank you to jared parisi over at sumadria podcast and sam hall at savinsam.com for all of your help making the show possible that's it for today until next time peace out